Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that we're going to spend some time together. As always, I look forward to being with you, and I've got a great show planned. Uh, my friend Jim Wallace is coming on in just a second. I don't know if you own any of his books, but I highly recommend uh, checking them out. Uh, his latest book is Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World That Rejects the Bible, Cold Case Christianity, Got some great books for kids, uh, God's Crime Scene, uh, Forensic Faith. I just can say it goes on and on. I purchased all these books uh, myself. I think I got maybe one or two for free, (laughs) which is one of the benefits of being a radio host. But um, I highly recommend anything that Jim does. You can go to coldcasechristianity.com. I usually don't like to fuss about my guests too much, but Jim is one of the guys I like to fuss over. Jim, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. You got some free books. I didn't know that. Now well, I'm a little upset. Yeah, I figured so. <laughs> yeah, I think some publisher, somebody sent me a book of yours, but I've, I've purchased course, a couple of, of your books, so I'm happy well, to do it. you're a good man. I appreciate no, that. No, I, I love your work, and I love your attitude, and uh, the, the content you put out is always excellent, and I always encourage people to go check it out at Cold Case Christianity. I think you're one of my easiest guests to have on. Well, and you know, it's funny because I, I was thinking about this for the last couple of months, that if you look at the positions that are in scripture, right, that, that we are to, to honor, to recognize, to identify, you know, teachers, pastors, evangelists, um, these are listed in scripture. And, and, and Paul even makes a case for, hey, they need to be supported financially. You know, people have, have families. And he said, even Peter, you know, you, you should, if you're, he, now Paul said he would never take support for this cause because he didn't want to hinder the gospel, he says. Okay. But there are these positions within the church, even not just the local church, but the big church or the big C. And I, what I don't see anywhere is a position called Christian apologist. Mm-hmm. Like that, that doesn't exist. And I don't think it was ever meant to exist. And here we are, right? I've got a lot of friends. Here I am. And you're always usually identified as a Christian apologist when I don't even think that's a role that anyone should have that outside of just being a Christian believer, mm-hmm. because that's where that uh, that assignment is. It's in First Peter Three, right, where, he, where Peter talks about how every one of us is to be able to give the reason for the hope we have in Jesus. So, so the most direct calling to make a case for Christianity is not applied to leaders; it's applied to everyone who believes. So, we've kind of created this position. And I think it's just our kind of our innate. If I'm honest, it's our innate fallen laziness, right? That says <laughs> I don't want to learn all that stuff. So maybe I'll just kind of just it, this is by one of his books, and and so I've never seen this as um, you know creating a position for myself. I just became a believer, and right away I started. You know, I thought, well, I want to tell people like the same way that new believers are so eager to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. I became a new believer, and I was like so eager to share the evidence that convinced me. Yeah, and so I always say that you know I'm just a one dollar apologist. We don't need another million dollar apologist. We need a million one dollar apologists. So I hope that the books that we do write are are helpful to other one dollar apologists who want to be able to make the case to their kids. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably the most important for people to make the case too. 
And you want, you know, I just did it. As a matter of fact, I didn't I was going to mention this, Bill, but I just released a podcast today with my son David, who's a doctor, and just kind of tracing his own journey, kind of growing up in this case making environment and then hitting the hard sciences. He was a biochemistry major and then he became an anesthesiologist. And so he spent some time in, in DNA labs and things like this. He thought he was going to be just a, a scientist, not even a doctor. But so he ended up here. And I just wanted to trace that path because I think that if you are a case maker for your kids, um, they can that now they can explore all kinds of things that I think some Christians today think are off limits or they're a little bit concerned. If my if my kid goes in that direction, is he going to walk away from the faith or is she going to walk away from the faith? But it turned out that was the case making that kept him in. Wow, that's fantastic. How old is David, that young lad? 32. Isn't 32. that crazy? That's how long it takes to get through uh, undergraduate. And then, you know, he did three years, uh, he had a residency program and then he did a fellowship because he's a pediatric anesthesiologist. Yeah. That's a specialty. So, yeah. so that, that took another year. And so he's finally, you know, working. Yeah. And trying to pay back, trying to pay back student loans. <laughs> I don't want to go too far down a, a rabbit trail right now, Jim, but I'd love to have David on because I've always been fascinated by the way the human body is designed and how there are certain drugs under super certain uh, under certain supervision where they can take a circular saw and cut your chest open and you stay asleep. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And that's what is you know it's even harder when you've got infants and a lot of his pre is you know is 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 preemies and, and newborns yeah. that have conditions that need to be, and that's why they're training this group. You know these these folks who do this, they understand the dosage and you know the body yeah. weight stuff and all that. And yeah, and he was telling me yesterday uh, the hardest part is when you're doing it not just for kids who need something fixed, but the kids are just sick. They're right. sick kids who are who are also have this thing they need fixed, and it makes it more difficult. But but yeah, um, that that to me was why I, I wanted to be a case maker with my own kids, and why I think really now, I mean, it used to, maybe fifty years ago we just said it's important for our kids to be to understand and articulate the gospel. Now I think it's important for our kids to understand and articulate the gospel and all the evidence that demonstrates it's true. Mm, and that, that additional step I think is is um, what's important right now in this generation. Yeah. So, Jim, will people be punished if they've picked the wrong religion? I just was taught. I just finished a class last night at a local Bible institute, and I'm t- I get this question a lot. Um, so here's here's what I would say: it's it's the, that that all of these worldviews, these theistic worldviews, um, that are out there. If it's you know, if it's if it's uh, Mormonism and Islam and Judaism and Christianity and and you know Baha'i and you just name all the different views, Buddhists. Uh, Hindus, all this. Um, it's not just that they make a claim, and they do make claims. They make a claim about the nature of the world. And the problem, of course, is and you compare these claims, is they don't they don't match. They they are contradictory. So, you know, Jews, for example, don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah or rose from the grave. And this is something, of course, that that Christians do believe. And Muslims don't believe he died on the cross and rose from the grave. This is something that now we could all be wrong, but we can't all be right mm-hmm. because we have we're making contradictory claims. Now, it might very well be that all of these claims are false, and they're all don't, that's why they're all contradictory, but it may be that one of them is true, and the other are false. And here's what's interesting about it, is those worldviews don't just make claims about the way the world is today. Of course, they do make those claims, but they make more. They are claims about a destination, because they're making claims about eternity. So that's what you got to keep in mind. These are claims about eternity, about a destination in the life after this one. So if I said to you, okay, look, I'm going to give you directions to my house, and everyone else says, and that's the destination, is my house. 
And and so everyone else says, well, I got directions also to Jim's house, but they're all completely different. Well, only one of these is going to bring you to my house, right? I mean, let's say we've got what, what someone says I live in one city, I live in another city. Well, it depends. If you need, if you're trying to get to Jim's house, you better know what city he lives in. And if mm-hmm. somebody's telling you directions, don't go to that city because it's a destination claim. Then you need to know. So we got to figure out like who does God exist, and what's the best evidence for that, and is there any evidence to support that this set of directions to the destination described by that worldview is actually true? Because we can say, well, look, it's not that they're they're doomed. They're just gonna, they're just not going to make it to that destination. This is why Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the roadmap to the Father. So if you wanted to get now, we need to, first of all take some time to ask ourselves, well, does are his claims something we could test? So we know that these claims are are, are more precise or are actually better supported by the evidence than other claims about God. Well, of course you want to be able to do that. But because the claims are describing a destination, we have to make sure we know which set of directions is correct. Oh, so good. Love that. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. You can learn more about him at coldcasechristianity.com. I think it was a, a Homer Simpson line that made me uh, chuckle a little bit because Homer said to his wife, because Marge said, Homer, have you lost your faith? And he said, uh, Marge, what if we've picked the wrong religion and each week we're just making God matter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the reality of it is, is that, that they're only, it's not really picked the wrong religion. It's just that we haven't picked the right uh, set of directions. Yeah. So it's not that God is is punishing you for 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 not picking. He's it's that He's given you all the evidence you need, and then the rest is on us. Although I I believe, like I'm not somebody who thinks that 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 I in my own power have made a decision about what's true. I I know that that nothing happens until I had enmity toward God that God had to remove altogether before I'd ever even seek Him. He calls and we respond. So there's no doubt about that, but it's a, I think there is this 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 mystery between the sovereignty of God and the free agency of man is not one that I am trying to resolve on this side of the grave. Mm-hmm. So I have a very open hand. Mm-hmm. So so I'm just living it. My and I, I know that's one of the first questions I'm going to ask God is what is that relationship between your sovereignty and my free agency? Did I ever have any free agency? Was it all your sovereignty, or did I have all the free agency the libertarians think? I mean, I don't know that where to yeah. land on that. There's a case you can make on both sides. Yeah. So what I try to do is is to see that as a non-essential, and to I I, I have a sense that I'm making free choices. The degree to which I am making free choices is something I hold with an open hand. Yeah. All right, Jim, I'm going to take a short break. I want to invite anyone listening uh, to send a question in for Jim. I want to talk to him about a number of things. The first question I asked him is, will people be punished for picking the wrong religion? I've got a bunch of other questions, but I would also be willing to take a question that you might have for for Jim. So text it over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. When I come back, I want to ask Jim if you get saved by having some magical sinner's prayer, if that's going to be something uh, uh, we will discuss when we come back. Well, books take you on amazing adventures. Wouldn't it be interesting to see what the Holy Land might have looked like through the eyes of Jesus? By winning 
Max Lucado's new book, you can do that. It's called In the Footsteps of the Savior. Now, with a special thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can win a copy every day this month. All you have to do to enter to win on the Faith Radio app or go to myfaithradio.com. Personally, I'd rather win a, a trip to the Holy Land um, I wouldn't have to go first class, but I, 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 I would prefer. But either way, I'd love to get my hands on a copy of this book, and I know you would too. So head over to Faith Radio, MyFaithRadio.com or the Faith Radio app. I'm back with Jay Warner Wallace. We're talking today about a number of things. I'm inviting your questions. I've got a bunch myself. Uh, if you just joined us uh, right before the break, I wanted to ask Jim about uh, Christians. Are they saved by some magical sinner's prayer? And before we uh, get your answer, I want to go to John chapter 3, verse 7, where Jesus says, uh, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. Yeah, I mean, I think that. So here, here's the basic question: It, it is the if, if we can, if we craft a sinner's prayer, and we've all heard these kinds of sinner's prayers, right? You hear them at revivals, you hear them at uh, at uh, big um, gatherings in which the pros- the gospel is preached, and at the end, of course, at some point after whatever sermon, maybe I, I love Billy Graham. Uh, events and I love to hear him preach the gospel and that he takes the time to contextualize it before he begins and then he finally gets to a point where he is going to have people come to the field and they're going to pray the sinner's prayer. Now I get that. Uh, it's not the sinner's prayer that is somehow magically saving you. I mean, for example, what if I was somebody who uh, had the sinner's prayer typed out for me and I was able to articulate it perfectly, even say it out loud? And I've got an English version of it in my hands, but I'm a French speaker, mm-hmm. so I don't understand a single thing I'm saying. Is somehow my recitation of the sinner's prayer now, is that what's saving me? Well, of course not. So it's something that's behind the sinner's prayer. It's the content of the sinner's prayer. When it comes down to, it's not the sinner's prayer that saves you. It's simply to repentance and faith. That's it. It's repentance and faith. Now, to the degree to which a sinner's prayer can help you understand your need for repentance and you, and helps you to kind of place your faith in then then fine, then the sinner's prayer will lead you to your salvation. But clearly, there's a lot of folks who have said that sinner's prayer, who probably are not um, believers, and and this is why John's constantly in First John talking about, well, you say this, you say this, you say this, but where's your what, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like I don't see you doing this, and so I don't see any like fruit of this. Not that your works save you. That the works are the result of you being saved. So you can kind of judge whether or not you are truly in a position of repentance and faith. And look, we all struggle with this because I'm not somebody who believes that that everyone who has suddenly shun, uh, been able to shun every evil thing they were ever doing before, evil, every evil thought they ever had before, now they are morally perfect. No, that's not what I'm saying. I, we're all going to struggle. We're all going to continue to struggle. The, the, the point, though, is before I got saved, I never even thought of it as a struggle. I just I just celebrated my fallen nature all the time. <laughs> right. I used to joke about it. Right. I used to use language I shouldn't use. Yeah. Never thought anything was wrong with it. Now, I'm constantly beating myself up. This this is the struggle between the Spirit of God in me and my fallen nature constantly in struggle. Before, I didn't struggle. There was no Spirit of God in me. Mm -hmm. It was just me celebrating who I was. So I don't think this is a matter of becoming perfect, 
but it's not the the utterance of those specific words. Like, what if I miswrote the sinner's prayer and I missed three words and while I was copying it, am I now no longer saved? Well, no, of course not. It's whatever set of words helps you to understand that you must turn from your sin and trust Christ as Lord. It's repentance and faith, repentance and trust that is what saves us. And I, I always worry about that passage in, in Matthew 7, you know, where Jesus says, you, you folks, have been doing a bunch of stuff in my name, which means that you folks have been calling yourselves Christians. You've been doing it in my name. Well, yeah. As Christians, yet I'm going to say I never knew you. So there are a lot of folks who might say the sinner's prayer and then label themselves as Christians. I just don't want to be in that group. And then he says that narrow is the way, right? The gate. Mm -hmm. Broad is the, the gate, the opening, the pathway that leads to destruction. But it was kind of what I think what he's saying here is there are a lot of folks who are going to call themselves Christians, and that group is going to grossly outnumber the ones who actually are Christians. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that he's saying that some are going to say you're. It's like no, that's the majority. The majority are people yeah. who say they are Christians, yet they're going through that broad path to destruction. And so I just think of that as okay, that's something for us to be very sober about. Yeah, that's another one of my questions, which I don't want you to address quite yet, but. Is it possible to find something in Scripture that talks about the possibility of a post-death salvation opportunity? So I'm going to save that for the second half of the show. But for now, Jim, i got another question from a listener. How do you logically talk to someone who denies that sin is real and not a social construct made up by religious people? Well, I don't think there's, 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 it's not just religious people that believe that some things are, are, are you, you ought not do some things. Okay. <laughs> Everybody who on planet earth, regardless of your group, you've got to select a, a set of behaviors that you think we ought not do. And if it's like you, you say, you shouldn't judge me for, you shouldn't judge anything as sin. Well, that's something you think is a sin. It's a sin to judge anything as a sin. Like everyone believes there is something or some set of things that we ought not do. Interestingly, uh, most atheists, when polled, most secularists, when polled, their their moral um, inclinations are very much like the Ten Commandment moral inclinations, even when they maybe didn't even know what the Ten Commandments are. If you can imagine somebody who has no exposure at all to the Ten Commandments, if you just ask them what they hold as high values, they'll probably end up uh, reciting the same moral principles that are found in the Ten Commandments. So even when they don't have scripture, they default back. We kind of like, it's Romans 1, right? We already know that God exists, our conscience in Romans 2. It bothers us even when we are uh, not Christians, not believers. We This is ingrained in our in our, in our DNA, basically. But, but everyone will say there's some things that are out of bounds. So then the question becomes, well, how do we resolve that? I mean, if you had a, a list of standards, you know, that you were going to be judged by, like you're looking at other people and you're saying to yourself, I forget who it was, the story, uh, who would used this illustration, but this idea that if you just looked at the things you say about other people that you say are bad, that behavior is bad. Just what you think of other people. If every time you did that, it was recorded what you thought others were doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And then when you finally got in front of God, he said, you know, I'm going to be really fair with you. I am not going to judge you on my standard. I'm just going to judge you on the recorded standard of every time you thought somebody else was doing something wrong. Well, you couldn't stand in front of God. You'd no. fail. And that would be just based on your own standard. So yeah. there's no doubt that we all believe that some things are wrong, so wrong they ought to be punished. That that then brings us to the question, if if you're just the source of those things, 
And I don't think, I think that people actually think these are transcendently wrong, but how do you ground transcendently wrong things? Because you you think it's never okay to torture babies for fun, regardless of whether I think it's okay or not. You say, well, you might think it's okay, but it's not okay. Well, that's because you think it's transcendently wrong. It's wrong for both of us, regardless of what we personally believe. Even if your culture said it was okay to do that, you say, well, then your culture is wrong. Because we all believe there are some things that are objectively wrong. And then they have to ask the question, then, well, where, where do you, how do you ground those things? Where, where do you ground those things in? Mm-hmm. If there's a law, if there are moral laws that are objective, we have to have an objective moral law giver. And that could never be a person or a people group because they are not, a, those are just subjective. They're coming from either a single subject or a group of subjects. But in either case, that's just a subjective opinion about moral behavior. We're looking for an objective moral lawgiver. And that's where it gets dicey. You know, the, the physics will not give you moral laws. Physics and science can tell you what is, but they cannot tell you what ought to be. That category of knowledge is not reserved, is not found in science. Mm-hmm. So if the entire universe is governed by physics, there, as, as Richard Dawkins used to say, there is no right and no wrong. The, the universe doesn't care one way or the other. That's why, as a matter of fact, he said the universe is pitilessly indifferent. And that's how he sees it, because without a moral lawgiver, there's nobody really, really defining right and wrong. At least yeah. he's honest. Yeah. But I think that's why everyone thinks, everyone, there's no one who doesn't think that there is a right or wrong or a moral right or wrong. The question is just how do we ground it? Mm-hmm. So good. Jim Wallace is my guest. Jim, how many years did you, uh, were you in, in police work? Uh, 25, see, 25. 25. Uh, you yes. were talking earlier about before you had become a believer, you sort of lived for yourself and spoke and said whatever you wanted to. I would imagine that on the police force amongst each other, you didn't use the most delicate, delicate language. No. Well, and, and there's a, and there's actually a, in some ways a, a good reason why that's the case. I mean, I, I feel like more and more people would say, well, shouldn't we as police officers have this high, high, we have a, a high standard, but, but trust me, there's yeah. like this escalation of force. Oh, you're, oh no. You're walking into a situation. Oh yeah. And often, your voice alone and the kind of tone and the kind of language you use can control a situation, especially if that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm talking just about personally when I'm not talking about you specifically, but I'm saying you had talked about before becoming a Christian, you sort of lived for yourself and spoke however you wanted to. And Yes, I'm just wondering about uh, our the biblical understanding of the need we have to watch our language, and no, no and, doubt, and dirty words, swear words, obscene gestures, naughty jokes, um, four letter words. Uh, you know this this is something now as believers. How do you deal in the world today with people that are using that kind of language around you? Well, I mean, look, we we know it. I mean, what happens is if you it's it's that we are magnetic creatures. Right, we draw. We we either are attracted to others, or we the others are attracted to us. And if you're like in a work environment like I was, where you start listening to how um, gangsters talk, it doesn't take long before you start talking like a gangster. <laughs> yeah. So so you have to be careful because we're magnetic, we're contagious. Yeah, I like. That. And so this happens, right? So, but then when I realized it, reading scriptures for the first time that you know out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, then I realized this is not a, a language. It's every time I do something like that. It's a heart issue. Yeah, it's not a language issue, and so it's much. It's it, when I realized how deeply grounded, how deeply seated it was, that I, I struck. Now, what happens is you. I, I always think whatever somebody else does, that's between them and God. Whatever I do, that's between me and God. 
So you find yourself uh, in a place like my son. I don't think I've, I've never heard my son, Jimmy, ever use profanity. And he's been a cop now, I think, 11 years, 12 well, years. Jim, let's let's pick this up on the other side of the break because there are a couple more things I'd like to discuss relative mm-hmm. to this. So uh, Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. You can go to coldcasechristianity.com. If you have a question for uh, Jim, text it over, 877-933-2484. You're right back. I am back with Jay Warner Wallace, and during the break, uh, Jim Rosie was asking me, the, the, what should we name this podcast? And I said, how about Access to a Brilliant Mind? She said, I love it. No, no, please do not do that. <laughs> That'll be very embarrassed if you ever did that, so you're not allowed to do that. All right, Rosie, you got to change it, because Jim's not going to allow it. Yeah, yeah. No. she's already got it down, but I'm going to have her change it. No. So, yeah. All right. Um, so, when you said that your your son Jimmy has not uh, used uh, bad language, I, th- I think well, it's... Yeah, and, and what I think I think happens when you, you do this job long enough, that you'll probably see it in your own workplace, is that, that at some point people pick up that, okay, this is not something that is appropriate um, around this person. And they respect that. And so um, they, they, they'll they eventually honor it. And mm-hmm. you'll see it all the time when people will say, oh, I'll say something they shouldn't say. And they'll say, oh, hey, I'm sorry I said that. You know, like they'll apologize to you as soon as they say it. But you're not trying to make somebody uncomfortable. Uh, I'm not actually going to scold anybody for using bad behavior, you know, bad language. Uh, I'm just not going to use bad language. And I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to say, hey, when you're around me, don't use that kind of language. I've, I've known people who have said that. I don't think it's helpful. I think what you just do is you just do what you know you're supposed to do, and people at some point will pick up on it, and um, and that'll be enough to kind of change people's uh, behavior around you. So so it's just a matter of you do the thing you're supposed to do. That's between you and God. Whatever they're going to do, that's between them and God. But uh, because we're so contagious that if you're going to pull – one of the two of you is going to pull, and the other is going to get pulled. So the question is, which of the two – who wants to do the pulling? Um, and so if you just stand your ground and, and continue to show the, the nature of Christ to people, you'll be doing the pulling. Mm-hmm. We as believers, though, should be measuring every word that comes out of our mouths. Yeah, and and uh, there's nothing that will quick, I think that will probably, you know, everyone's great and when they're happy. And, there, and there's no stress <laughs> and there's nothing pressuring it's you. True. You know, it's it's that stub your toe kind of moment. Yeah. Then sometimes you have like a stub your day kind of right, a day. Right. And, and that's when you, you start to lose it. And that's why people will always use examples like the freeway and places where right. you will. All they're just talking about is that, yeah, it turns out that, but if you think about it, and I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm still, this is, I'm nowhere near mastering this. Okay. So don't, don't take this as though I, I actually can do it. I just know what I ought to do. <laughs> and, and so mm-hmm. that, that's at least a first step. It's at least helpful to know what you ought to do. And everyone's got a different struggle. Yeah. So, so this is, this is mine. And, and it's, it's, I think when you come into it at 35 years of age, there's a lot of bad habits that are even um, more hidden than just your language. Language is a pretty easy one. It's it's all of your independence. It's your it's you're not uh, trusting anybody but yourself. Yeah. It's it's your you kind know, of work work effort kind of behavior that make, it's it's hard to submit all of that because it's not as obvious as just like language or whatever. Yeah, Jim, or your you, addiction. You yeah, know? yeah. Do you think 
part of Satan's strategy is to get words into our vocabularies and let them be used so frequently that they become so watered down, like the word hell or or damn. I mean, those words should make us make should make the hair on the back of our neck stand up. Yeah, I, I think that Satan's strategies are pretty. If you've ever read the Screw Tape Letters, I mean, they're pretty pretty. Uh, it's a great C.S. Lewis book that talks about you know. The devil's plans to um, get his apprentices to uh, to, to derail us, and it, it's not. I mean, it's not just that. It's any t- any that time that I think Satan's biggest uh, goal is to elevate our pride, so that we think we know more than than God does, and that's exactly what you see in in Genesis. You know, did he really? Did God really say that? Yeah. You know, you know better. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's kind of that kind of thing, and so. I think anytime I think that I can choose my own language and there's no consequence for that, that is a pride issue. Yeah, I agree. That is, that is me thinking that I'm, you know, um, better than I really am, or I'm the authority by which we. That's why I used to say all the time, it's really easy to throw the dart against the wall and just grow, uh, go over there and draw the bullseye around wherever the dart lands. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if there is no objective standard that precedes you. That's what we're all doing every day. We set our own standard. We throw the dart, and that's that's good enough. Wherever it lands, that's that's the bullseye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much harder when the bullseye is there before before you even begin. And now you got to try to hit the bullseye, and you just never can hit it because it's a very very small bullseye. You know, yeah. And and that's the problem. Um, so I think that for me at least, I have to to be patient with that. Look, there's a lot of stuff that I, I probably have, I'm doing better than others, and that's probably true for everyone listening. There's mm-hmm. some area that you're just going to kill it compared to me, and then other areas where you're not, and uh, that's the struggle, right? I mean, I, I think if you could be perfected, that would just be another pride. I think really that that's another pride issue that that Satan does is when when we think that we've now mastered it, that there's no further need for submission because I've already mastered this now. Mm-hmm. That's why I think that work-based religions become very prideful. And you will see this uh, in works-based religions, like in Mormonism, where, where you know, if I've got the number of kids that I think is going to bring me to heaven, or I, it becomes very competitive. And then you start to separate yourself because I'm doing better in that than there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really, we need to be, and this is why it's so hard. This is a hospital for injured and broken and sick people. The church is a hospital for us. And and we're never going to get cured. We're always going to need the church, and we're always going to need the physician, the great physician, because we're never going to get to a place where okay, I've mastered this now. I'm ready to release. <laughs> no, yeah. no, we're always going to be that mess that needs that needs um, you know guidance. Yeah, I just want to remind listeners that when you uh, Jim, when you reference Mormonism, you spent uh, a lot of life being around it. Yeah, I know my family is, I've got six brothers and sisters who were raised LDS from my dad's second marriage. And, you know, he's not a believer in anything, um, but but his kids were raised Mormon. So I got a chance to kind of listen to a lot of it. And then we started to use um, the, the contrast between Mormonism and Christianity as a way to train our students. I was a youth pastor for years to train our students in theology because these are two very, very different systems, regardless of what any Mormon would be likely to say today. I think you're going to have more and more, for example, Mormon listeners to your show, because what's happening is, unlike a generation ago, this generation sees themselves as a denomination of Christianity. I think largely that was largely political, uh-huh. because they were running candidates that were never going to get elected unless they could present themselves as Christians. I'm not sure that's even true anymore, but 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 it was a generation ago when they would have said their leaders, their their prophets would have said, 
we are not Christians. We are the restored church. We, this is what, you know, they would say, that's what, this is what Christ intended. Joseph came to restore a lost and broken church. Now they want to see themselves as just another denomination. But the reality of it is that they present a different, every key word we use theologically, Jesus, salvation, heaven, they've redefined everything. So if, if terms matter, you know, if, 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 if Jesus is, if the, if the definition of Jesus matters, well, then we can't call them Christians because they believe in a completely different Jesus. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. Uh, Jim, and I will throw this out to listeners as well, because I bet listeners have had this conversation with somebody where they said, well, I, you know, I'm not really spiritual, but when I, when I get to the gates of heaven, I'll tell God or I'll tell Jesus that I didn't, you didn't tell me enough about you. And they always make it sound like there's going to be a, another opportunity. Uh, I'm curious if any listeners had that conversation with, with people saying, well, when I get, when I get there, when I get there, I'll, I'll have Jesus explain to me uh, because he didn't explain well enough. Um, as to what to say, and then is there a post-death opportunity for salvation? Is that anywhere in Scripture? Well, the, the Mormons believe that. They believe that you'll go into spirit prison when you die, and you'll have an opportunity while you're in spirit prison, kind of like a purgatory, in which you can hear the gospel from Joseph Smith and from Jesus, and you can still make a decision. And that's why they one of the things in order to be saved under the Mormon faith claims is that you have to be baptized and married in the church, in the temple. And to be baptized and married in the temple, what if I make a decision after death, but I was never married or baptized? Well, that's why they baptize the dead, and they marry the dead. Hmm. That's what the temple ceremonies are. That's what they're doing in there. They are marrying the dead, and they are baptizing the dead, so that if somebody makes a decision after death, they're now qualified. They've been baptized and married in in the temple. So that's the idea is this is why they have those two ceremonies, because they believe the system believes that you can get saved after death. This is not biblical, right? I mean, no. it's it's pretty clear in scripture. It's in Hebrews. It's in Hebrews uh, chapter nine, verse 27. It's, you know, and as much as it's appointed unto men to once to die. And after this comes what? Another opportunity. No, comes judgment. So between death and there's judgment, there's nothing. There is no other opportunity. And, and that's why this, this is why we have. Um, uh, otherwise, why would you even care? Why would you go door to door trying to convince anyone that Mormonism is true? Wouldn't it be far easier for Jesus Himself to come to you and present the, to to know if something is true? But they're still making an effort in this life. Mm-hmm. But if that system is true, there'd be no reason. Just baptize and 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 marry everyone after they're dead. Do it in the temple. Get a complete list of your entire family. This is why Mormons are so good in in genealogy. Baptize everyone who's ever lived in your family. And don't try to reach them with the Mormon gospel. They're going to get that after they die. We know that there's an urgency. And that's why Jesus, just the fact that there's a great commission on us as believers is evidence that there's no chance after death. Because trust me, no one's going to present the gospel better than Jesus himself. But he tells us to make disciples now. He was no need to do that if he can make disciples later. Yeah, great, we have to do that now. <laughs> so the gospel, the, the Great Commission is just further proof that this is the life and time, the time in which you make a decision. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we're living with enough sense of urgency about reaching the lost for Christ. No, you know, we aren't. I mean, I, even as the people I know who love apologetics, who love to make a case for Christianity, um, 
we've been, I think we kind of see it as an either or. My job is to kind of remove hurdles, not necessarily present the gospel. No, do both. It's not an either or. Right. How about we do this? How about we take a, put a stone in people's shoe? We get them to think seriously about whatever their obstacle is. We help them to remove it. But at the same time, we offer clearly the gospel. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm repentant about that because there have been many places I've spoken where I've made the case for the New Testament, but I haven't stopped at the very end and said, now I want to present the gospel to you. Hmm. And and I look back at those opportunities. I think they're they're missed and l- largely missed. They didn't ask me to come in to do that. They asked me to come in to make a case. But I don't know anymore that there's any point in making a case if you're not also going to offer the gospel. That's an that's an excellent point. I I, I think it's almost sounds that it would be irresponsible to make a case and then not present the gospel. I'm not saying you didn't do it correctly, but I'm just saying it seems like if you lay it out there, you're going to want to give people an opportunity. I think there's a there's a fear, and there is some. I, I remember hearing this from a pastor years ago on on the uh, from the pulpit that that I don't want to offer the gospel every single week because once you've said I'm, I've said no once, it's easy to say no every single week. Mm-hmm. That was his thinking. Instead, he would like you know maybe every few weeks, every month or so, he'd present the gospel. That of course, a lot of churches are going to present the gospel in its most robust form in a very passionate way every single week. And if you go to those kinds of churches, and I've attended those, I can see why it just becomes like a like a, a, a another feature of the, the 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 talk, and it's a feature that's the same every week. So I don't need to kind of tune it out. I can see where there might be some truth in that, but. Uh, I think that you can present the guy. I just I'm, that's why I was conflicted about it for so many years. Look, my job is to come out and 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 lay lay the runway so this plane can take off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I realize, hey, I, I, if I've laid this runway, I might as well hop in the and with the like a co-pilot and help you get off the ground. Yeah, so good. All right, we'll take a little break. If you have a question for Jim Wallace, let me know what it is. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, eight seven seven nine three three. 2484. You can learn more about Jim at coldcasechristianity.com. Coldcasechristianity.com. And I highly recommend you going there. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. So glad to have Jay Warner Wallace as my guest today. We're talking about a whole number of things. Uh, Jim, there's 95% of people believe in the existence of God and 75% believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. So we've got a problem. And we have been talking, uh, you're making a case for Christianity and then also presenting the gospel. When people hear presenting the gospel, what do you, what can you tell people what that means? The Romans road is probably, I, I try to stay in the construct of, of the book of Romans. Like you know, there's, that no one is, 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 you know, no one pursues God. All of us have sinned. All of us are yeah. fallen. That no one pursues God. That but that God has made a way for us. Um, that although there everything that the wages of your sin is death. That God has provided for you the free gift of yeah. eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that you know that he rose from the dead that you will be saved um so it's a very simple process but why would any of this matter it matters because the the gospel i always say fixes every kind of stupid you can think of (laughs) and and because it it it, it addresses the common problem in every kind of stupid which is sin you know sin is the common problem and it's the common it's pride and it's the common problem behind every kind of abuse whether it's social uh, justice whether it's whether it's politics whether it's interaction on social media it's in your marriage it's 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 at your school it's at your work whatever problem you're seeing more than likely is a sin problem driven by someone's pride and and the thing that 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 addresses pride the solution for pride is humility and we happen to be in a worldview that begins the first step is an act of humility in which we say there is a God and I'm not him. Mm -hmm. And I have to begin this process by repenting and and trusting and bending my knee to the God of the universe. And if everyone possessed this, there's research on humility is actually about the last 35 years and social studies and research uh, on this will show you that people who possess humility they flourish like no other set of humans. They flourish not only in their marriages, they flourish at their workplace. They're better leaders, they're better employers. They get higher grades. They are able to discern right from wrong at a higher level. They do better, they pursue degrees to a higher level and they have better success in the pursuit of those degrees. They make more money, they have better physical health, better mental health. This one weird attribute, humility, leads to human flourishing almost like no other attribute. And this is the one attribute that is at the forefront of the Christian worldview, is that we are called to humbly admit that we are not God. Mm -hmm. And then from that point, you see all the time that Scripture is training us in humility. Um, Don't think so much of yourself. Um, And this is is something that's really, really important. And this is a worldview. And by the way, if – and one of the things that's unique about Christianity is it's the one worldview that you don't work to earn. Every other theistic worldview has a set of dues you must do in order to earn that next step, that highest reward that can be earned in that system is a series of things you must do. Christianity is the one religion that flips that on its ear and says, no, it's nothing about what you can do. It's what Christ has done. And by the way, if you think it's about what you can do, that is ripe for the abuse of pride. So so every other theistic worldview leaves you in your prideful state, comparing yourself to others, even comparing yourself to where you were last year. Mm. This worldview says, nope, forget the comparison stuff. You're all in need of a savior. And when you realize that humbly what's been done for you, you're far more likely to do it for somebody else. Yeah. Jim, you had just recently brought up pride, and that's a huge topic. Is that one of the... Uh, three trifectas in the reasons for all crimes is yeah pride it is well i think you could probably say that pride is behind all things if you if you had to distill the three motives of yeah. sex money and power the pursuit of power if you had to say well what is the foundation those three things stand on they stand on pride you know i want i want i want look at even job right when when um when Joe is is in, in, when when Satan approaches God and says, "You got this guy, you know, uh, doesn't really love you," uh, you know, and 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 God says, "No, Job is Job loves me. He he fears me, and fear is used to mean you know awe and love, and and he does. And and Satan says, "No, he doesn't. He just loves the stuff you give him. He just loves all the benefit of knowing you. If you took that all the stuff away, he wouldn't really love you." In other words, he's saying that. 
that even behind this act of adoration and love, there's a prideful desire that he thinks he's getting something from you. And that's why he's so. So in the end, it turns out that even our acts of love, if we're not careful, can be falsely uh, motivated because they're really, it's not that I love this person for who they are. It's I love this person for what they can do for me. And God was saying to Satan, no, that's not Job. I can take all that stuff from him. He's still going to worship me. And he does. Mm -hmm. Because Job was not worshiping God based on what God could do for him. That's the biggest struggle I have is that, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's hard. It's hard to, to just love God for who he is and not for what he's doing for us. But in the end, I often wonder why, what, what motivates me? Is my motivation that pure? So it's something to think about at least. Yeah, for sure. So you've been uh, teaching and presenting for years and years. What would you consider to be, as you've talked to people about, Scripture, uh, one of the more misunderstood or misused scripture passages. Oh my gosh! Probably the one on uh, judge and judging. Okay, you know, judge not, lest you be judged. So this is idea that we don't have any, but of course that's not what the scripture says. It's not to judge with the with the kind of by. In other words, not to judge unfairly. If you're, first, take care of yourself. Or get that log out of your eye before you judge someone for the speck in their eye. But it doesn't say never judge the person for the speck. It says no, you can judge the first person for the speck in their eye. But before you do that, take the log out of your eye. That's a very different approach. Mm -hmm. So yes, we have um, we we ought to be holding each. How could you ever mentor anyone, right? Yeah. How could you ever mentor anyone if if uh, you didn't uh, provide them with advice? Right. Yeah. People use that as a way to kind of silence the critics and say, you know, you don't have the right to tell me I'm wrong. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that is uh, right out of Matthew, I think, chapter 7, isn't it? Yep. It's yeah. in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But talk about discernment and using wisdom and and how we are we are to judge. Well, and, that's, and this is it is about discernment, but it's also about to judge to judge um, not hypocritically, and it's hypocritical judgment that and the world sees this. I mean, one of the things you'll hear all the time from people who are not Christians is there's a couple of reasons why I'm not a Christian. One is that um, I, I I struggle with this idea that an all powerful God God would not remove evil mm -hmm. from the world, and the other is that yeah, you know, I've got um, I've got hypocrites in my life. I see Christians all the time that say one thing and. And and do another. That hypocrisy thing is really big for people, mm -hmm. and and so we have to kind of help them to see that just because I may not do this well. Look, have you ever had anybody who owned a guitar but they never bothered to take lessons, never read a book about the guitar? They have no idea how to tune the guitar, no idea what the guitar is at all. They just pick it up and they bang it and they play the guitar <laughs> terrible. Mm -hmm. Do you then say, well, guitars are terrible instruments? Well, no, just the fact that I play one poorly does not mean that the guitar has a problem. It means that I have a problem in how I play it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is true for Christians too, right? Just I mean, I've known Christians who don't play it very well. And that's something we have to do better at. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about what we're interested in, what we're committed to. Yeah. So give me a, a quick rundown of, of your, your day. When you get up, do you have your quiet time in the morning? Uh, do you do scripture, devotionals, uh, prayer? What do you do? So we we do it at night. Uh, my wife and I know that I've got you know I, I've tried to be more sensible about my schedule. Um, so so we uh, do it at night. We do the Bible in a year, 
And we, you know, that usually means two or three chapters of the Old Testament, you know, two or three lines of the New Testament. You know, <laughs> that's kind of how it works. Yeah. Um, and and right now we're in First uh, Kings, uh, twenty one, um, and uh, we're in the Gospel of Luke at the very end. So so yeah, we try to um, to do uh, the Bible in the year, um, but but that sometimes it feels like we're not deep diving enough. Mm-hmm. So we'll also uh, usually use, there's so many great resources online, even on your phone that'll help you. So I, I use those things as much as I can, uh, even though I've got, you know, great Bible software on my tower. Mm-hmm. Um, all the Logos software is just great. That is great stuff. Shame, shameless plug for Logos. But but uh, there's just some great stuff on that you can for free that you can get online on your, on your phone that then allows us, if we're traveling, to just use my phone. Right to both do our daily readings and to do if we usually listen to somebody exegete what we just uh, read. Right, so it takes about an hour uh, or so. Uh, but we didn't, and, and honestly, for a lot of couples, you may not have that time. And but our kids are all grown. Yeah, and so this is the time we actually can do this. Yeah, and do you have a, a writing project going on right now? Just a minute left. Yeah, I just finished a book. Uh, uh, we now are going to call it "The Truth in True Crime," and it's basically lessons you learn about humans from investigating uh, deaths and how it demonstrates that Christianity as a worldview is actually describes the world the way it really is. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, rules for life yeah. that you learn from working death investigations and how these uh, attributes of human nature demonstrate Christianity is true. Well, that's going to be fascinating. When does that come up? I think it's in spring of next year. It's due, it's due June 1st of okay. this year. I think it takes about that long to get it on the shelves. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to start talking about it. So thank you once again, Jim Wallace, for being my regular guest. And I so appreciate uh, when you come on. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. You know, I love coming on. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. My best to Susie. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Jay Warner Wallace has been my guest. Please go to Cold Case Christianity and check out his amazing website. It's uh, fantastic. Uh, his books are great, and his website, if you get there, has videos and uh, blogs and all kinds of things you can enjoy, and he produces so much content uh, all for free, so you will enjoy the way his brain thinks uh, as a cold case homicide detective in Los Angeles uh, for many, many years, and his ability to uh, look at scripture and teach it and and uh, write it is phenomenal. So we're going to take a little break when we come back. Hour two is just ahead and I'm looking forward to bringing on Pastor Pat Nemers. We're going to talk about uh, John chapter 15 in our Red Word series. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.